afternoon, good morning, or good evening to whenever you may be listening to this podcast. Welcome to WLTL's The Scaries, uh, an assorted arrangement of short or long horror stories. October and Halloween is right around the corner, so it will be a perfect time for us to jumpstart this series. Thank you so much for listening, and let's dive right in. This story is from r slash no sleep on Reddit from user search and rescue woods. I'm a search and rescue officer for the U.S. Forest Service, and I have some stories to tell. I wasn't sure where else to post these stories, so I figured I'd share them here. I've been a search and rescue officer for a few years now, and along the way I've seen some things that I think you guys would be interested in. I have a pretty good track record for finding missing people. Most of the time they just wander off the path or slip down a small cliff and they can't find their way back. The majority of them have heard the old stay where you are thing and they don't wander far. But I've had two cases where that didn't happen. Both bother me a lot, and I use them as motivation to search even harder on the missing person cases that I get called on. The first was a little boy who was out berry picking with his parents. He and his sister were together, and both of them went missing around the same time. Their parents lost sight of them for a few seconds, and in that time, both the kids apparently wandered off. When their parents couldn't find them, they called us, and we came to search the area. We found the daughter pretty quickly, and when we asked where her brother was, she told us that he'd been taken away by the bear man. She said he gave her berries and told her to stay quiet, that he wanted to play with her brother for a little while. The last she saw of her brother, he was riding on the shoulders of the bear man, and he seemed calm. Of course, our first thought was abduction but we never found a trace of another human being in that area. The little girl was also insistent that he wasn't a normal man, but that he was tall and covered in hair, like a bear, and that he had a weird face. We searched that area for weeks. It was one of the longest calls I've ever been out on, but we never found a single trace of that kid. The other was a young woman who was hiking with her mom and grandpa. According to the mother, her daughter had climbed up a tree to get a better view of the forest, but she'd never come down. They waited at the base of the tree for hours, calling her name before they called for help. Again, we searched everywhere, but we never found a trace of her. I have no idea where she could have possibly gone, because neither her mother or grandpa saw her come down. I was teamed up with another search and rescue officer because we'd received reports of bears in the area. We were looking for a guy who hadn't come home from a climbing trip when he was supposed to, and we ended up having to do some serious climbing to get to where he figured he'd be. We found him trapped in a small crevice with a broken leg. It was not pleasant. He'd been there for almost two days, and his leg was obviously very infected. We were able to get him into a chopper, and I heard one of the EMTs say that the guy was absolutely inconsolable. He kept talking about how he'd be doing fine, and when he got into the top, a man had been there. 
He said the man had no climbing equipment and he was wearing a parka and ski pants. He walked up to the guy and when the guy turned around, he said he had no face. It was just blank. He freaked out and ended up trying to get off the mountain too fast, which is why he'd fallen. He said he could hear the guy all night climbing down the mountain and letting out these horrible muffled screams. That story bothered the life out of me. I'm glad I wasn't there to hear it. One of the scariest things I've ever had happen to me involved the search of a young woman who'd gotten separated from her hiking group. We were out until late at night because the dogs had picked up her scent. When we found her, she was curled up under a large rotted log. She was missing her shoes and pack and she was clearly in shock. She didn't have any injuries and we were able to get her to walk with us back to base ops. Along the way, she kept looking behind us and asking why that big man with black eyes was following us. We couldn't see anyone, so we just wrote it off as some weird symptom of shock. But the closer we got to base, the more agitated this woman got. She kept asking me to tell him to stop making faces at her. At one point, she stopped and turned around and started yelling into the forest, saying that she wanted him to leave her alone. She wasn't going to go with him, she said. She wasn't going to, she wouldn't give us to him. We finally got her to keep moving, but we started hearing these weird noises coming from all around us. It was almost like coughing, but more rhythmic and deeper. It was almost insect-like. I don't really know how else to describe it. When we were within sight of base ops, the woman turns to me and her eyes are about as wide as a human can open them. She touches my shoulder and says, He says to tell you to speed up. He doesn't like looking at the scar on your neck. I have a very small scar on the base of my neck, but it's mostly hidden under my collar, and I have no idea how this woman saw it. Right after she says it, I hear that weird coughing right in my ear, and I just about jumped out of my skin. I hustled her to ops, trying to not show how freaked out I was, but I have to say, I was really happy when we left the area that night. This is the last one I'll tell, and it's probably the weirdest story I have. Now, I don't know if it is true, but every search and rescue unit, but in mine, it's sort of an unspoken, regular thing we run into. You can try asking about it with other search and rescue officers, but even if they know what you're talking about, they probably won't say anything about it. We've been told not to talk about it by our superiors, and at this point, we've all gotten so used to it that it doesn't even seem weird anymore. On just about every case where we're really far into the wilderness, I'm talking 30 or 40 miles, at some point we'll find a staircase in the middle of the woods. It's almost like if you took the stairs in your house, cut them out, and put them in the forest. I asked about it the first time I saw some, and every other officer just told me not to worry about it. That is what's normal. Everyone I asked said the same thing. I wanted to go check them out, but as I was told very emphatically that I should never go near any of them. I just sort of ignore them now when I run into them because it happens so frequently. This next story is from user New to Town Jam. The previous tenant of my new flat left a survival guide, and I'm not sure if I want to live here anymore. I moved in with my boyfriend yesterday, 
We've been together for five years now, and we're old and wise enough to settle down and finally leave our parents' home. He just turned 24, and I'm 22. He's the love of my life. His name is Jamie, and I couldn't be happier with him. When we decided to make the leap, we spent two months looking at flats and houses. We couldn't afford to buy yet, so renting was our only option, but the prices were astronomical. For our budget, we would have to get lucky to get a box room and a stove. Jamie, looks for a, Jamie works for a local 24-hour fast food restaurant, and I'm training to be a teacher. The early stages of training don't pay much, and I owe a lot in student loans, so finances are tough. We had almost given up hope until we found our flat. It was nothing special, but to us, it was a palace. A spacious two-bedroom apartment with views of a city park, a balcony, and local, local conveniences. It was in a tower block in a not-so-nice area, but neither of us had been wealthy growing up. We weren't fussy, just grateful to be together. The advert was sweetened by the deposit-free option and open-ended tenancy. The landlord was happy to sign a five-year contract if we wanted. That sort of thing never happens in the city. We were told that along with no deposit, we would also have no inspections, but would be liable to pay for any damage when we, le when we ended the tenancy. I never heard of anything quite like it. We knew that for our budget and location, we weren't going to get any better. We snapped the place up fast, not even bothering to view it. It felt like our only chance. Move-in day rolled around quickly, and yesterday we got the keys to our first home together. It was such a strange feeling. The day was chaos, getting our stuff in and up in the lift. We were flat number 42 on the seventh floor. The items we couldn't get fit into the lift had to be taken up all the stairs by the removal men. I think they were grateful we weren't any higher, but I still wish we had been able to give them a better tip. In the evening, we settled down on our second-hand sofa, given to us by a cousin of a friend, and watched some TV. We hung out on the balcony looking at the park and fell asleep on our mattress on the floor super early because we had no energy to put the bed together yet, and Jamie had work at a hideous time of the morning. We slept soundly that night. I felt safe and happy. I don't think that feeling is coming back anytime soon, and it's all due to the note I found this morning. I found it in the kitchen, having a coffee, hours after Jamie had left for his early shift at work. It was in one of the cupboards that were fixed on the wall. There were a bunch of useful items from the previous tenant. Spare keys to the flat, a set of tiny keys that locked and unlocked the windows, necessary for those kids who uh, get high up. Spare smoke alarm batteries and a folded piece of paper. The note was handwritten with new occupier of flat 42 in beautiful cursive on the blank side. I opened it up and sat down to read. I can't really describe it to you, so I'm going to copy it below. Dear new occupier, firstly, welcome to your new home. I lived here before you for 35 years with my husband. Unfortunately, he had an incident at home recently that I'd rather not discuss that claimed his life. My sister has now decided I can't keep up with the demands of the property and has insisted that I move in with her and her husband. I was reluctant at first, but the stairs do kill me at my age, and without Bernie, it's filled with sadness. Anyway, when you've lived here for as long as I have, it feels like a person that you know. You understand its personality, and it makes you tick. 
I thought it was probably pertinent that I impart some of that knowledge to you. It's a wonderful home, honestly. I have lived through best and worst years. Living, Leaving it behind is very emotional. But if you are to survive and get the best out of it, then there are some steps you need to follow. Number one, the landlord will never bother you. He doesn't visit, call, or communicate in any way. But make sure to pay your rent in a timely fashion always. I have only dealt with him once in 35 years, and let's just say I have never missed another rent day. Any repairs required you speak to the agent you rented the place with. Do not use the communal lift between 1.11 and 3.33 a.m. Just don't do it. This step is vital if you are to have a happy life here. It is really life or death. Don't do it. This has cost me and many others in the building greatly, and I would not elaborate on why you shouldn't do this. Just please don't do it. I cannot stress this enough. Number three, when you hear the strange animal noises coming from flat 48, don't question it. Mr. Prentice lives there, and he he's a lovely chap. Don't be afraid to say hello to him in the corridor or on the stairs. He's old school, so he never risks a lift. But whatever you do, don't check on him when you hear the noises. You'll know when you hear them. Number four, if you ever come across a window cleaner on the balcony, ignore him. He may seem like the nicest fellow you've ever had trying to tell you something at the door, but really, it's best that you don't engage. He will go away if you ignore him, but he tries pretty hard the first few times and you'll need some resilience. Whatever you do, don't offer him anything. No money, no hot drink. Number five, don't leave food scraps out, bin or refrigerate them immediately. If you have small animals, it is imperative that you watch them eat and take away any leftover food immediately after they are done. This and rule two go hand in hand. The things forage all day and seem to really love animal feed. You don't want them in your flat, I promise. You can leave what you want out between 1.11 and 3.11 a.m., so you may want to feed your pets then. Number six, don't communicate with any neighbors who claim to come from flats 65 through 72. These flats suffered a fire in the late 80s that devastated the whole floor. All the residents died in their homes. The building was mostly council-owned at the time, and they never renovated the flats. They've been empty ever since, but every now and again, someone will lock at your door claiming to live in one of those flats and ask to borrow some sugar. They will seem entirely average, but you must shut and lock the door immediately. I installed two extra security bolts to avoid these people. Number seven, simple one for you here. Keep a weapon in each room. Sometimes you follow all these steps and something slips through the net. Better to be safe than sorry. Number eight, the building has a committee that will try and get you to join. It's one of the neighbors groups about improving living conditions for all residents. It's a nice group and the lady who runs it. Terry from Flat 26 is a fantastic neighbor. By all means, get involved, but I wouldn't recommend babysitting Terry's two children. She'll ask you because the poor woman needs a break, but if you accept, don't say I didn't warn you. Number nine, stray hairless cats sometimes roam in the hallway. I know they're supposedly a special, expensive breed, but they don't belong to anyone. They're mostly harmless, but don't pick them up. Not unless you see one of those neighbors that claims to be in 65 through 72. Then grab the cat and lock it inside with you. It'll burn your skin a little, but the cats are friendly and I wouldn't want to see them hurt.
Number 10, there is no way to fix the damp patch in the ceiling in the bedroom. Sometimes it will turn a deep crimson and look quite concerning, but please do not be alarmed. It doesn't drip and it doesn't get any bigger and it's there longer than I have. The landlord won't budget according to the agents. I flagged it many times, even called the police the first night it changed color, but it was a waste of time and it will be for yours too. Number 10, there is no way to fix the damp patch on the ceiling in the bedroom. Sometimes it will turn a deep crimson and look quite concerning, but please do not try to be alarmed. It doesn't drip, it doesn't get any bigger, and it's been there longer than I have. The landlord won't budget, according to the agents. I flagged it many times, even called the police the first night it changed color, but it was a waste of time and it will be for you too. It's best to ignore it. You can trust the postman. His name is Ian, and he's been a postman ever since I moved in. He has his own key to the main door, delivers post to the door every morning at 8.54 a.m. I can't include everything here, or it will become a novel, but if you have any questions, Ian will help you. Finally, the first few weeks are the worst. You'll feel like you're making a mistake. I'm sure reading this you already do. But if you can get through the first three weeks, then it's a lovely block to live in. Every property has its quirks, and this one is a little extra special. But you can be truly happy if you just take my advice. I wish you all the best. I really do. Yours truly, Mrs. Hemmings. I don't really know what to think after reading the note. Hopefully it was some sort of joke, but the agent had said that the previous tenant was an elderly lady, and I can't see anyone named Mrs. Hemmings attempting to play practical jokes on someone they'd never met. There are also parts of the note I couldn't disprove. There was indeed a large damp patch above the bed that me and Jamie already discussed reporting. No, no crimson, but it definitely existed. I had also commented on a beautiful sphinx cat roaming the halls as we were moving in. I started to get seriously freaked out. Our dream, our beautiful little home, had just become a source of fear and confusion. I checked the time and it was 9.14. Dang it, out of time to catch the postman, Ian. When I opened the door to check, sure enough, two letters addressed to Mrs. Hemmings sat on the doorstep. At about 11.15, my worst fears were truly confirmed when a friendly middle-aged man carrying window cleaning equipment knocked on my balcony door. I ignored him. I didn't want to take the risk until I'd spoken to Jamie and showed him the note. I texted him all ready to rush home. I felt as bad as the man wrapped his knuckles against the door for over 10 minutes, but honestly, the longer it went on, the more I was terrified. The windows were sparkling, and due to the lack of our curtains, I couldn't even hide from his gaze. I felt so exposed. He stayed for a total of 30 minutes exactly, and never once did he stop looking at me or knocking. He shouted the occasional ultra-friendly line or humble request for a beverage in the heat through the door, but I did not. But I did my best to avoid eye contact. When he finally left, I looked outside every window in the flat, but I couldn't see him on any of the other balconies or see any equipment suggesting he was around. He had vanished completely. Jamie still hadn't texted me back. He must have been having a rough shift. It was a Friday and they were always busy. It wasn't often that he didn't reply. He was due home in around an hour anyway. I read the note probably hundreds of times over. I tortured myself reading it for the next hour, desperately waiting for Jamie to come through the door to tell me what to tell me it was all crazy and I should relax. I hoped for that so much, but Jamie never came. His shift should have ended around midday, but by 2 p.m. he wasn't home. 
I panicked. I cried. I left over 100 voice messages but his, on his phone but got nowhere. I finally decided it had been long enough that calling his work wouldn't embarrass him, and his boss told me that he had never turned up for his shift. I thought about it. What could have happened? Then it hit me. Jamie's shift started at 4 a.m. today. He would have left the flat at 3.15 and taken the lift down the stairs. I don't know what to do. I tried to convince myself that it was all one big joke. Maybe Jamie wrote the note and got his boss in on it. A voice in my head kept telling me that he couldn't write like that if he tried, but I had made an attempt to fool myself. It's getting late and he still isn't home. What if it was all true? Thank you for listening to this episode of WLTL's The Scaries. Both of these scary stories read today can be found on r slash no sleep on Reddit. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to tune in next time on WLTL's The Scaries.